And get started this morning. We'll uh, get started with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our articles. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time to gather together this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we find there. I thank you for the uh, access of sal- to salvation that we have through faith in Christ. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us and the ability that we have to walk closely with you through the tools that you provide for us. I just pray that uh, you would be with us in these times in which we are living, uh, that we would be steadfast in commitment to your word and uh, be, be available for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to direct us in our walk. I thank you for this church and the people here. And I just pray that we would uh, be a church that is completely committed to you and to your word, and that it would uh, guide us in all that we do as a church body and as individuals. I just pray that you would uh, be with this time this morning, that it would be an encouragement to us as we look to you as the uh, author and sustainer of life and the sustainer of our Christian lives. And I just pray that we would leave here being more uh, completely submitted and committed to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good to see everybody this morning. Dave, great to see you. Yeah, we'll begin with uh, our fact file flyover this morning. We, uh, in our prayer time with the elders this morning, we talked about some things and, and, uh, (laughs) and then the comment was made, you're not going to have a lot of good news for us either, are you? And the response was, no, not really, unfortunately. Uh, begin this morning with an article from the Washington Examiner from this past week, uh, March 22nd. Headline is Stanford Law School DEI Dean Placed on Leave Following Outburst at Trump Judge. And the, uh, I don't know, the headline can be sort of politicized the situation that it doesn't, it doesn't need to be politicized, but at any rate, a judge who was appointed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, I believe, Judge Kyle Duncan, uh, was asked to speak at the Stanford Law School, and this was in a, I saw a video of it, it was in a, in a classroom, auditorium setting, he's there to give a lecture to the students. However, uh, there was a disruption during during the uh, lecture. It's not even a it's not a speech. It was a lecture, like a class. Uh, and it says students who disrupted a lecture by U.S. Fifth Circuit Court Judge Kyle Duncan at Stanford Law School earlier this month will not face discipline. The law school announced Wednesday, but the school's diversity, equity, and inclusion dean has been placed on leave. 
Uh, Jennifer Martinez, dean of the law school, published a letter to the school's community Wednesday in which she announced that the students who had disrupted Duncan's lecture would not face discipline because, it, because administrators in the room, including diversity, equity, and inclusion associate Dean Tyrian Steinbach, had offered mixed signals as to whether the, the disruption was acceptable behavior. Mixed signals, it says. Uh, there was no mixed signals. She was very much in favor. You can watch the video of the dean, a dean in the law school, standing up and confronting this uh, circuit court judge who had been asked to come and speak at the school, uh, interrupting him for several minutes. And I'm not sure if he even was able to conclude his lecture, but it was just, it was basically just uh, outrageous. You can see the video of it. And the fact of the matter is that this isn't protest what these people are doing. It's happening all over college campuses that individuals are invited to speak at these college campuses and then in a in a lecture setting or a speech setting similar to what we are doing here, uh, the students come in, shout them down, don't allow them to speak. That That is not protest. Protest would be standing outside of the venue and making your cause known, which is fine and a protected uh, activity according to our Constitution. Of course, this is something that the Founding Fathers very much endorsed and participated in themselves, but they did not uh, do what these people are doing. This is not protest. This is, this is revolution, shouting down people, not allowing them to speak, and in fact is against the law. It's not legal for someone to come even into our church service and shout down whoever is speaking. That That's not allowed. It's similar to shouting fire in a movie theater. You, you can't do that. You can't just uh, shout people down and not allow them to speak in a, in a forum such as what is happening here. Needless to say also that these are future lawyers who are engaging in this activity, uh, who are being trained that this is what is acceptable. If someone presents an argument that you don't agree with, you just shout them down, you don't allow them to speak. In fact, you make laws that say they can't say these things. That's the direction that we are headed with uh, law schools. Stanford Law School, one of the most renowned law schools in the nation, has... Uh, their deans are promoting uh, lawless behavior. Uh, so, so far, <laughs> not off to a great start on the uh, good news front. But that's what's going on in the world, and we need to be aware of these. We need to be aware of these uh, kinds of things that are happening, such as this headline. See, I thought I was going to have a scoop on this one. Uh, when it came out for us, but it's become pretty, pretty widely known uh, now. Michigan University hosting separate graduation celebrations based on ra race and sexuality. Uh, March 22nd is this one. I saw it on uh, Fox News. A Michigan college is coming under fire for hosting five graduation celebrations separated by race, sexuality, and gender identity 
in addition to the university's larger commencement ceremony. Grand Valley State University's multicultural affairs offices lists graduation ceremonies or celebrations for black students, Asian students, Latinx, is that how you say that? I'm, I'm not sure. Students, Native American students, and LGBTQIA plus students this April. The university will also have uh, a general commencement ceremony for all students. So, of course, this is exactly uh, this is exactly what the powers that be who are instituting these kinds of things want to happen. They they pitch it under the guise of oh, we have to uh, we need to be accepting of one another and love one another and all of these kinds of things, which is very true, of course. We, we ought to be loving other people, loving God and loving others. That, that's the greatest commandment. And if we are able to do that, of course, we're fulfilling the whole law according to the words of Christ. However, this is given under that, guys, but it leads to exactly what we see here. A, a comp- an absolute division of people into separate groups and the separate groups then begin to fight amongst one another. And I, I didn't notice a whites-only graduation that wasn't mentioned here either, which is kind of, kind of interesting. There are several groups of people who would be left out. You know, there's no German-American or Polish people graduation or whatever. You can think of a million different categories that aren't included and just causing causing a lot of problems. Instead of it, uh, fomenting or creating an environment where everybody is getting along, we're dividing ourselves into, into separate uh, categories, which is, I sort of thought, was the whole thing that we're not supposed to be Engaging in. Yes, Grand Valley. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've been to Grand Rapids uh, recently, but or Traverse City. <laughs> we we were just in Traverse City uh, last fall in October. You know, supposedly the you know, like he said, the red start red part of the state of Michigan. And they had, what was the thing? It was the abortion, right, the Michigan uh, abortion thing. They had a march right downtown, uh, Traverse City, yelling, shouting, disturbing everybody's lunch. <laughs> but, which is their right, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it, and it's throughout the country. I mean, uh, we, we, can have the impression that, oh, Texas is a wonderful place, and Utah, I was just in Utah, uh, saw Michael Ortman out in Utah one morning this past week, crazy, but when you're driving, uh, driving out of our hotel, the, the rainbow flags are everywhere in Salt Lake City, Utah, so... Uh, don't be under the impression that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Uh, like was told to me not too long ago, the grass is usually browner on the other, other side of the fence. 
Speaking of, <laughs> here's some more good news for us. Uh, Christian who escaped Chinese persecution warns U.S. descending into communist style of governance. And that's, that's exactly what's going on there at Stanford University and their law school is precisely the tactics that communist revolutions have used throughout history. Uh, and it's particularly uh, instigated or implemented through the youth. And that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that is, we're seeing at Stanford and universities around, around the country. Uh, but here, the uh, uh, article says, the leader of a watchdog group that monitors Christian persecution in China said he's seeing echoes of the Chinese Communist Party playbook in the U.S., and he's worried it'll get worse. Bob Fu, president of the U.S.-based non-governmental organization China Aid, said he's seeing the same tactics in Western nations that the CCP uses to crack down on churches. The similarities are very, very striking between the Chinese communist way of persecution and the American leftist way of restriction and even discrimination, Fu told Fox News Digital. He said he is, has observed with concerns how the left in the U.S. is increasingly exhibiting dictatorial attitudes both culturally and politically by censoring speech, enforcing woke culture, and not tolerating dissent. He pinpointed the alleged political weaponization of federal law enforcement agencies as a worrisome escalation of such trends. It's very shocking and horrible to see American society's transformation evolving from its constitutional basis, Fu said. Uh, he was uh, actually a student leader during the Tiananmen Square uh, uprising during that, and then he was able to, to flee the country with his wife. He's a Christian. Uh, he says, they only have one playbook. I saw the governor of California basically prescribe and order the church to shut down and say not only when they can worship, but how. The ways that he threatened to punish those churches and pastors sometimes were word for word exactly the same as what the CCP is using against the Chinese churches. Uh, Fu noted how the uh, mayor of Los Angeles, former mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, at one point threatened to cut off the utilities of homes and businesses that divide California's COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, Fu says, guess what? That's exactly the same tactic, word for word, that the Communist Party has issued over the years against the churches. Uh, during the pandemic, churches throughout Canada also contended with imprisoned pastors, locked facilities, steep fines, continued interference from government officials. And uh, it says, after Pastor Tim Stevens of Calgary, Alberta, was arrested for a second time in 2021 when a police helicopter reportedly found his church gathering outside. So they weren't even in the building. They decided to have church outside. Police helicopter flies over and they arrest the pastor. Uh, at that point, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri wrote a letter urging the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom to consider adding Canada to the watch list. Incredible. Uh, 
who goes on to say, there are so many unprecedented things that really break my heart. I feel America is descending into a Chinese communist style of governance. The media propaganda is exactly the same as in communist China, where I was born and educated in the trend. Much of U.S. mainstream media, he claimed, has become the mouthpiece of one party, one ideology, by twisting and even lying and using all their so-called reports to promote one ideology. And I don't, uh, don't think he's too far off base there with that. Speaking of promoting one ideology, here's a headline I came across uh, this week which I found interesting, Panera Bread uh, tests Amazon palm scanning technology in St. Louis. Panera Bread. I like Panera Bread. Uh, I think their food's pretty good. However, (laughs) it is piloting Amazon's palm scanning technology in St. Louis to offer customers a faster way to connect to their loyalty program and pay the bakery Cafe chain, which has long been considered a leader in restaurant technology, is the latest restaurant to use what the tech giant has dubbed Amazon One. It's already been implemented in dozens of Amazon-owned Whole Foods locations, Amazon Go stores, and some stadiums and arenas. So what what is Amazon One? Well, here's another article I came across from The Verge that talked about this. This is uh, an article that was from 2020, actually, and that's the that's the scanner. A picture of it there, and you just hold your hand over this thing, and it reads your uh, biological information. This from the the Verge article here. Amazon is unveiling its own palm recognition technology today that will be used initially to turn your hand into a personal credit card. This guy even has his right hand out there. Uh, Inside the company's physical retail stores, Amazon One uses the palm of your hand to identify you using a combination of surface area details like lines and ridges alongside vein patterns to create a palm signature. So how... So when we read this, I'm not saying that this is the mark of the beast or that it's here or we're in the tribulation or any of those kinds of things as we have learned in the book of Revelation. However, during the tribulation period, there is coming a time when people will not be allowed to buy or sell unless they have a mark on their hand or on their forehead. And this is the technology that can do it. We're seeing it right here. Amazon One uses the palm of your hand to identify you using a combination of surface area details like lines and ridges. That is precisely what the Bible describes as the mark of the beast, a physical mark on a person's hand or forehead that without which you cannot buy or sell. Brought to you by Amazon One. So it is certainly very interesting times that we are living in, as all of these articles, I think, point to one uh, one narrative that the world is rushing headlong into uh, one worldism 
acceptance of one way of thinking. And if you don't agree with the one way of thinking at this point in time, you'll just be shouted down. Uh, there's only one way that this continues. If it's allowed to continue, it only continues towards it progressing beyond shouting you down to shooting you down. <laughs> that, that is the progression throughout history that has taken place in these sorts of situations. And we even see the technology is now there and perfectly available for uh, a requirement to have some sort of mark on the palm of your hand in order to, to buy and sell. The technology is there. And so the good news is, of course, that there is a way to escape all of this. And it is found by way of faith in Jesus Christ. If you have your faith in Christ, you can rest assured that you will be delivered from the wrath that is to come in the future, as we studied in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3.10, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And if you are what the book of Revelation refers to as an overcomer or someone who has put your faith in Christ, then you will be delivered from this time period that is to come in the future. However, that doesn't mean that it's going to be, everything is going to be uh, perfectly rosy up until that period of time. Uh, we can expect persecution and we can expect uh, things to get worse as time goes on. But praise the Lord that we have God's word. Praise the Lord that as believers we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he can give us uh, wisdom and guidance in how we ought to be living and conducting ourselves. And we can also know that it is evidence to us if we are persecuted by the world. It is, it is direct evidence to us that we are Christians. Because after all, it is promised to us if we have the desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. That's what Paul said to Timothy. So we should, uh, as the apostles did, count it joy to be persecuted for the Lord. It is, it's a testimony that, that we're on the right track. And so with that, let's go to the book of Proverbs where we learn how to uh, live in times that are trying. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 5, where we will be today, you can turn to Proverbs 5, is uh, in a little bit different vein than, than what we were just learning about in the articles. However, it's still very uh, pertinent as societies crumble uh, politically. It's, as we are seeing in America today, moving further and further away from constitutional government and these kinds of things. And, and uh, when that happens, historically, it's not just in America, but historically, when nations turn from their founding laws, uh, it leads to a decline in uh, 
the quality of life for people, and the entire society uh, crumbles underneath people. You can see it in Rome, Greece, Babylon, throughout history, all of the major uh, world powers that have gone down the same road, the same thing has happened. And so it's not just confined to politics or, or education or uh, the financial system. It is throughout every institution in the society, and eventually it leads to immorality uh, within the nation as well, which we see, where I took a couple of articles out this morning that had to do, <laughs> had to do with that. And uh, however, it's very obvious to anyone who desires to pay attention that morally the country the United States is on just as, as bad, uh, shaky ground as we are politically. The scriptures have a lot to say uh, about that issue in particular. And if there's one problem that lies behind all the rest of our problems and issues in this nation and Christendom in general... Uh, it's that of sexual immorality, which is what Proverbs chapter 5 has to do with. As men in particular become, uh, to put it nicely, distracted in this area of their lives, other areas tend to follow very quickly behind. You can see that in the personal lives of people. And eventually it begins to manifest itself uh, throughout the culture in its entirety. And we, we live in a culture that is absolutely overrun by immorality and sexual immorality in particular. It's on the TV, it's on our news, it's on social media, it's in your face pretty much 24 hours a day. And of course the pervasiveness of pornography is absolutely overwhelming in our country and in the world in society in general, and the the, uh, the ease of access for even children is uh, is unprecedented, uh, let alone for adults. And it's never been this way before in the history of the world. That there's never been ease of access to sexual immorality as it is as it is today. And so, uh, in addition, and Pornography in particular is by nature extremely addictive and absolutely soul-crushing and fits right into what we're going to learn about this morning in uh, Proverbs chapter 5. And even secular pundits recognize this. You can see uh, videos from secular people talking about the dangers of, of pornography uh, warning young men in particular about the dangers of this and how it can ruin your life, essentially. And so, as usual, God, of course, is well, well ahead of the curve on this issue, as well as every other issue that we come across in life, and so many of them here in the book of Proverbs, written 3,000 years ago, and again, seems to be written directly to you and to me here in the 21st century. And so, as is 
popular, I guess, <clears throat> in the New American Standard Bible, if you have that, that the title of this chapter is The Pitfalls of Immorality, which is very true. And I came up with the title uh, of this lesson before I had actually studied it out, which isn't a good idea, for, especially for you people, kids, and people who might be writing papers for classes. Write your paper first and then come up with your title because you might have to change it later. And if I could change that, I would. I could have, but then I wouldn't have this example to give to you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's very, we need to be able to apply this passage correctly because it, it absolutely applies to every one of us, whether you're married or not, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, a young person, uh, or 90. It doesn't matter. This, this applies to you, whoever, whoever you are. So the title of Be True to Your Wife, while that's true, is kind of, kind of limiting in what we'll, we're actually going to, to study this morning. It, it ought to be Be True to God, uh, the importance of sexual purity or something along those lines is probably a better title. So we're, we're actually uh, going to try to race through Proverbs chapter 5. It's not really racing, but it's, it's more of a narrative sort of uh, chapter of the Bible with chunks of ideas. So we'll be able to get through this. Three main uh, paragraphs, if you will, or sections in Proverbs chapter 5. First, we'll see the deception of immorality, then the destruction of immorality, and the discipline of godliness to, to finish it out. And uh, Solomon does a very good job of, of outlining these Proverbs for us, these first 10 that are, that are thematic in in their design anyway. If you'll remember the first 10 Proverbs, kind of uh, each chapter is geared towards basically one uh, topic. And then once we get into Proverbs 11 through the end, uh, or at least until Proverbs 30, anyway, they're more what we think of as the traditional proverb. This is true, so this must be true. And that, that kind of uh, thing where the, the sentences don't seem to be connected. But at any rate, Solomon, here in Proverbs 5, he does a good job, as we've seen throughout this, of outlining these topics for us. When we see the phrase like, uh, my son, like we see in verse 1, that, that's a good indication that, okay, here comes a topic. And he's going to talk about this topic until we come to another phrase that's similar to that, like we see in verse 7, where it says, now then, my sons. Here's the next point I want to get across to you. Verse 15 uh, is a, another break, but we'll, we'll get to that when we, when we get there. But he begins with the deception of immorality. Notice Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps 
take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. So again, uh, Solomon begins with this phrase, give attention and incline your ear. Uh, As we've seen, hifil imperative, you have to be the one. That's the implication of that in the Hebrew language. You have to be the one that is concerned with the action here. You have to make yourself pay attention. And this is, uh, you may get tired of hearing this, but it's worth repeating because uh, God must think that it needs to be repeated to us that we have in the book of Proverbs that we need to be paying attention to the world around us. And since the Bible repeats it, well, I figure I ought to repeat it too as we're <laughs> studying through the Proverbs. And I personally, I think this, this is the advantage of teaching books of the Bible and particularly verse by verse instruction. You see the themes of the Bible when you do that. You understand that the way that God is presenting the information to us, he has chosen to do that in these various books written by various authors to various audiences for various purposes. The Bible is not a systematic theology textbook uh, like you get at seminary and that kind of thing. The Bible is very different than that. There is value in studying systematic theology and these kinds of things, but there, in a church setting, there is much more value, and for people in general, there is much more value in understanding what the Bible says and how it says it and why it is saying it and these kinds of things so we can understand how God is communicating to us. I have areas of interest in theology, things that are fascinating to me, things that I am interested in studying, and these kinds of things. And if it were up to me, I would spend all my time talking about that. Uh, and you know, what, whatever, whether it's the gospel, God's grace, salvation by faith alone, prophecy, these are, these are the things that interest me. Quite frankly, I wouldn't spend a lot of time telling women how to live and the way that they should be conducting themselves with their husbands and in church and these kinds of things. I wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about uh, Proverbs chapter 5. If it were up to me, I would much rather uh, talk about Ephesians chapter 2 or whatever, something along those lines. But when we study the Bible, verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, I can't do that. You don't get to hear what my favorite pet theology is every week. You get to hear what God wants us to hear. He wants us to hear the Bible. And so when he repeats things, he's trying to get our attention. He's not trying to bore you. He's trying to, in this case, tell you, pay attention. You cannot go through life as a robot thinking that everything is just going to work out okay. You have to discipline yourself and make yourself pay attention to spiritual matters because uh, it isn't our nature to do that. Some of us are better at it than others or, or some of us are inclined more that way than other people. 
but none of us are perfect at it. And that's why uh, God, through Solomon being inspired to write these words, repeats this idea of give attention, incline your ear over and over and over again because we need it. And there's two results that are laid out if we will give our attention to and incline our ears to make ourselves pay attention. There's going to be two results that come about from that. Verse 2, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. You will be able to understand things if you, if you do this. You will, th- that term for discretion is kind of uh, what it says, that you may observe discretion. You, uh, the word for discretion there is really trying to get across the idea of plots and schemes. You will be able to observe when someone is scamming you, someone is plotting against you, if you pay attention to my wisdom and incline your ear to understanding. You're going to know when someone is trying to to scam you and your lips may reserve knowledge. That is that you will be able to repeat it back. That's the the implication here. It's sort of similar to you're, you're going, the idea is you're going to know it so well if you pay attention, if you make yourself do this 24 hours a day, it's going to become part of who you are. It's like memorizing scripture. If you do that and you're memorizing scripture and you come up to a situation in life where you're tempted to sin or whatever, you can go into your memory bank and pull out a verse that applies to exactly that situation and use it. Remind yourself not to, not to engage in that kind of activity. It's just a part of, it becomes a part of who you are. And it, it, this is uh, true in my life all the time, as far as work goes, at any rate. Our procedures and checklists for flying airplanes, you do it so much, it just it can get to be a situation where it's just rote and you're, you can, as a human, just not even be paying attention and you're just spouting off the answers to the procedure or whatever it is, and that's not the idea either. Uh, that's just part of being a fallen human. But regardless, if you are inclining your ear, making yourself pay attention, you're memorizing these concepts, they become a part of who you are, and you're going to be able to uh, guard yourself and protect this knowledge, and it's going to help you as you go along. And uh, notice in this passage, we're seeing three uses of, of lips or speech that are uh, uh, two are, are good and one is very bad, but they're being contrasted here with one another. Verse three, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. The father is using his lips to teach his sons. The sons are using their lips to repeat back the things that the father is teaching to him. Meanwhile, the immoral woman is using her lips to deceive people. So obviously there's a a very uh, big 
contrast going on here. And you see there, if you have an NASB, in verse 3, there's a superscript there next to adulteress, the number one, an indication to you that, okay, you go over into your margin there and you find what that note is, and it says that it is literally strange is the uh, what that word is that is translated, I think, not the best as adulteress. Adulteress is implying that this is uh, a married woman or that this is only happening among married people, and that isn't really what is is being conveyed at all. The ESV translated, translates this term as foreign, New King James, I think probably the best getting to the sense of what is being taught anyway. New King James says immoral, and the strange comes from the King James version. And uh, really the ESV and King James are probably the most literal in this case, but the New King James is getting across the sense, probably the best uh, in in this particular case of an immoral woman is, is what is being uh, conveyed here. The adulteress, as I mentioned before, the adulteress is, uh, that, while that's true, it's an incomplete definition or incomplete Word. There is a broader category than just adulteresses is what is being uh, spoken of here. The adulteress is a strange woman, but that's, again, for us today, that's a little odd way, odd way of, of putting it. Uh, again, the point being here that th- this isn't just a warning to married people. This is a warning to all people, all men especially, and men and women in general. The, uh, of course, a woman can take away the application, okay, don't be like this. God doesn't, God doesn't want us to be like this. And notice what she does. She tells you what you want to hear is the implication, that her lips drip with honey, honey and smoother than oil is her speech. She uses flattery which is telling you what you want to hear as well as uh, about yourself or what's going to happen. Uh, And this is obviously something we need to be ready for because there are two results that will happen if we go down this path. Verse 4, But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Bitter as poison is what the wormwood is... uh, describing there. It's like taking in poison. Her words are sharper uh, sharper than a sword. They'll slash you to death, reminiscent of what Christ is going to do in Revelation 19 that we've been studying about. When he comes again, he will kill his enemies with the sword from his mouth. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 also uses similar language here in speaking of the scriptures says, for the, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, it uses the same language to speak of the words of the immoral woman here. Uh, sharp as a two-edged sword. 
are her words. So the same way that God's word can divide soul and spirit, this woman's words can divide you, (laughs) divide your your, uh, spiritual life in just exactly the same manner. And so this is something we uh, obviously need to avoid. Uh, We need to stay off of her path. Notice what her path is, beginning in verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. She She will lead you away from God, which is exactly the opposite way of which we are to be progressing in our life. James 4, 7, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you are following after the immoral woman, you are being led away from God exactly the opposite way from which you should be going. This should be so far from you that you don't even think about it. Very similar to what we read in Proverbs 4.27. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. You see this being presented before you either in a, in a literal person or on your computer. You turn your foot from evil if you don't want to act like a fool at any rate. Uh, and this is the pathway that is being described here is exactly what James talks about in James chapter 1, how sin uh, is uh, brought out in our lives. James 1, 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Not Satan made me do it. Oh, did you see the way that woman was dressed? I mean, <laughs> come on, how do I, I don't have a chance here. Well, actually you do. And you are being carried away by your own lust. Verse 15 of James 1. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James there sounding an awful lot like Solomon. Do not be deceived. In other words, you need to be paying attention to these things in your life, or it's going to lead to destruction. And uh, this idea of not even thinking about it brings out the nefarious nature of, of pornography as it invades your mind and takes it captive. Uh, it is addictive by nature, just like uh, social media in general, the, the apps for social media on your phone are literally designed to get you to keep scrolling. They, they've done the research. They know how your brain works and they make it so you stay on the app and you keep doing it. Same thing with uh, pornography, the way that it works in your, in your mind. And the research and the fact of the matter is if you're engaged in that, it's eventually going to lead to physically doing the sin with another person. Each one is tempted. James 1, 
when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. These are just the facts. Uh, Let me go back. Her uh, hallmark is instability. Ephesians 4.14 says, as a result, uh, how do we counter this instability this person this the in this case the immoral woman is unstable unstable in all of her ways instability is her hallmark why is that because she's not learning and applying the truths from the scriptures god has a remedy for that ephesians 4 lays that out very well ephesians 4:11 through 13 speaking of the teaching of god's word in the church This is how we avoid instability, Ephesians 4.14. If we are teaching and learning the Word of God, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Paul seems to be describing this woman here, that she is deceitful, she's scheming, She's leading you astray. You can be kept stable through understanding God's word and applying it to your life. And if you don't, it's very destructive. Proverbs 5, 7, Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the outside alien and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teacher's nor inclined my ear to to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. You need to uh, listen and obey. Listen to what is being taught from God's word, and you need to obey it. You need to remove yourself from the temptation like uh, Joseph did. Genesis 39, 12, when he literally ran from Potiphar's wife, keeping himself from the the temptation that was right before him. He turned and ran away in spite of the, the consequences that came to him. You need to be uh, able, willing to put up guards in your life. Uh, verse 8, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. You need to have guards in your life. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee from youthful lust, Paul says uh, to the young Timothy. Uh, and the idea here, what, where Solomon is getting this and where the this, this strange woman, stranger, this, this kind of language comes from, 
is, uh, again, evidence that it's written to the nation of Israel. They were not to have foreign wives. And that's why this, this term is used that's translated as stranger or that kind of thing. Uh, because God knew that they would be uh, brought down by this immorality that would enter into the camp if you will, that would enter into the nation of Israel and they're going to be brought down by it due to its addictive nature. Uh, it, it is consuming in the mind. It can be this immorality that is being spoken of here. And God knew that ahead of time and warned them that they shouldn't have any foreign wives. Deuteronomy 7.3 being uh, one place that specifically mentions this idea of foreign wives and not because uh, God is a racist or something ridiculous like this. He knew how these people acted. He knew the heart of his people, the heart of all mankind, and he knew that they would be led into sin and led astray. And the nation of Israel could not accomplish their God-given purpose if they're led into sin, so he's trying to protect them. Exodus 34, 12 says, Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice and you might take some of his daughters for your sons and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your son also to play the harlot with their gods. If you go down this path, Israel, you're going to be led into... Uh, not just immoral relationships, but idolatry, which is number one on the list of things that you can't do as the representatives of the God of the universe. And so this is the reason for the warning. And the same thing holds true for people in the church age. Not that we have replaced Israel or anything like this. These are universal principles that apply to people who are to be God's representatives in the world. And as a Christian, that's you and that's me. We are God's representatives in this world, and we cannot be engaged in activity that God expressly prohibits if we are to be his uh, witnesses in this world. And you see the language here also, this kind of... Uh, speaking of people who are of a different nationality is, is throughout this passage, particular verses 9 through 11. You will give your vigor to others, uh, your years to the cruel one, uh, your strength. Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned good will go to the house of an alien. All of this speaking to if you engage in this uh, activity, your, the, uh, your wealth, your property, everything that you are going into the land to accomplish as my representatives is going to go to 
the foreign people, not the people of God. Specific warning to the nation of Israel. And of course, this is very true for us also as a secondary application, particularly to married people. I mean, this, lead, this reads like a, a divorce proceeding here. Uh, if you engage in immorality, adultery, as a married person, you, there's going to be an issue there, and you're going to give your vigor to others, your years to the cruel ones. Strangers will be filled with your strength. That sounds like uh, alimony payments, and she gets half, and all of these kinds of uh, things. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Somebody else is going to be uh, living in your house. Adultery leads to ruin and uh, immorality in general leads to ruin as is uh, described very clearly in the closing verse there, verse 14, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. This would lead to public humiliation. Public ruin is, is the implication there. All because you hated instruction. Proverbs 1, seven. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs one twenty nine. because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. We have a, have a role to play here. We need to love instruction. We need to take it in to part of, of who we are and apply it to our lives. And I guess we'll just leave it right there for uh, next time. We'll do some review and pick it up at verse 15. As we continue, uh, we'll continue studying this very important chapter of the Bible and being morally pure before the Lord, the importance of this cannot cannot possibly be overstated for each and every one of us as Christians, men in particular, because uh, like it or not, we are the ones who are given the, the role of leadership in uh, our families and leadership in the church in particular. And so it behooves us to, to have our act together in this regard, because so goes us, so goes uh, the church, so goes our families, and so goes our nation. So when we uh, see news articles that speak of the absolute degradation of our society, we need to be looking in the mirror and making sure we're not contributing to the problem. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the convicting nature of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us and uh, can guide us and lead us into righteousness. I particularly thank you for the forgiveness that we have available to us because you are righteous and you are just and you are willing to forgive us. We can, we can go to you and be cleansed from all unrighteousness and we just thank you for that promise i pray that that each one of us would be introspective in our 
in our hearts and in our lives and that we would uh, deal with the areas of sin that we have in our lives, that we would draw closer to you knowing that you will therefore draw closer to us. And if we flee from the devil, he will flee from us according to your word. I just pray that each one of us would uh, grasp that promise and make it a part of, of who we are and that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness so that, so that you can accomplish your purpose in this world. I just pray that as a church we would do that and we would be available for you to use. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.